Where all my children are the light Born in the sinning But steady striving to do right My people are warriors All we know is to fight Pray They see God in everything I write here In his opening remarks at the HBSCI hearing Which were drafted in consultation with the Department of Justice Comey stated that he had been authorized by the Department of Justice To confirm that the, that the FBI as part of its counterintelligence mission is investigating the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. And that includes investigating the nature of any links between individuals associated with the Trump campaign and the Russian government and whether there was any coordination between the campaign and Russia's efforts. As with any counterintelligence investigation, this will also include an assessment of whether any crimes were committed. Comey added that he would not comment further on what the FBI was doing and whose conduct it was examining because the investigation was ongoing and classified. But he observed that he had taken the extraordinary step in consultation with the Department of Justice of briefing this Congress's leaders in a classified setting in detail about the investigation. Comey was specifically asked whether President Trump was under investigation during the campaign or under investigation now. Comey declined to answer, stating, please don't overinterpret what I've said as as the chair and ranking. No, we have briefed him in great detail on the subjects of the investigation and what we're doing. But I'm not going to answer about anybody in this forum. Comey was also asked whether the FBI was investigating the information contained in the Steele reporting, and he declined to answer. According to McGahn and Donaldson, the president had expressed frustration with Comey before his March 20th testimony, and the testimony made matters worse. The president had previously criticized Comey for too frequently making headlines and for not attending intelligence briefings at the White House and the president suspected Comey of leaking certain information to the media. McGahn said the president thought Comey was acting like his own branch of government. Press reports followed Comey. Press reports following Comey's March 20th testimony suggested that the FBI was investigating the president, contrary to what Comey had told the president at the end of the January 6th, 2017 intelligence assessment briefing. McGahn, Donaldson, and senior advisor Stephen Miller recalled that the president was upset with Comey's testimony and the press coverage that followed because of the suggestion that the president was under investigation. Notes from the White House Counsel's Office dated March 21st, 2017, indicate that the president was beside himself over Comey's testimony. The president called McGahn repeatedly that day to ask him to intervene with the Department of Justice. And according to the notes, the president was getting hotter and hotter. Get rid. Officials in the White House counsel's office became so concerned that the president would fire Comey that they began drafting a memorandum that examined whether the president needed cause to terminate the FBI director. At the president's urging, McGahn contacted Buente several times on March 21st, 2017, to seek Buente's assistance in having Comey or the Department of Justice Correct the misperception that the president was under investigation. Boente did not specifically recall the conversations, although he did remember one conversation with McGahn around this time where McGahn asked if there was a way to speed up or end the Russia investigation 
as quickly as possible. Buente said McGahn told him the president was under a cloud and it made it hard for him to govern. Buente recalled telling McGahn that there was no good way to shorten the investigation and attempting to do so could erode confidence in the investigation's conclusions. Buente said McGahn agreed and dropped the issue. The president also sought to speak with Buente directly, but McGahn told the president that Buente did not want to talk to the president about the request to intervene with Comey. McGahn recalled Buente telling him in calls that day that he did not think it was sustainable for Comey to stay on as FBI director for the next four years, which McGahn said he conveyed to the president. Buente did not recall discussing with McGahn or anyone else the idea that McComey should not continue as FBI director. Three, the president asks intelligence community leaders to make public statements that he had no connection, to, no connection to Russia. In the weeks following Comey's March 20th, 2017 testimony, the president repeatedly asked intelligence community officials to push back publicly on any suggestion that the president had a connection to the Russian election interference effort. On March 22nd, 2017, the president asked Director of National Intelligence Daniel Coates and CIA Director Michael Pompeo to stay behind in the Oval Office after a presidential daily briefing. According to Coates, the president asked them whether they could say publicly that no link existed between him and Russia. Coates responded that the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, ODNI, has nothing to do with investigations and it was not his role to make a public statement on the Russia investigation. Pompeo had no recollection of being asked to stay behind after the March 22nd briefing, but he recalled that the president regularly urged officials to get the word out that he had not done anything wrong related to Russia. Coates told this office that the president never asked him to speak to Comey about the FBI investigation. Some ODNI staffers, however, had a different recollection of how Coates described the meeting immediately after it occurred. According to senior ODNI official Michael Dempsey, Coates said after the meeting that the president had brought up the Russia investigation and asked him to contact Comey to see if there was a way to get past the investigation, get it over with, end it, or words to that effect. Dempsey said that Coates described the president's comments as falling somewhere between musing about hating the investigation and wanting Coates to do something to stop it. Dempsey said Coates made it clear that he would not get involved with an ongoing FBI investigation. Edward Gustaro, another ODNI official, recalled that right after Coates' meeting with the president on the walk from the Oval Office back to the Eisenhower Executive Office building, Coates said that the president had kept him behind to ask him what he could do to help with the investigation. Another ODNI staffer, who had been waiting for Coates outside the Oval Office, talked to Gustaro a few minutes later and recalled Gustaro reporting that Coates was upset because the president had asked him to contact Comey to convince him there was nothing to the Russia investigation. On Saturday, March 25th, 2017, three days after the meeting in the Oval Office, the president called Coates and again complained about the Russia investigation, saying words to the effect of, I can't do anything with Russia. There's things I'd like to do with Russia, with trade, with ISIS. They're all over me with this. Coates told the president that the investigations were going to go on and the best thing to do was to let them run their course. 
Coates later testified in a congressional hearing that he had never felt pressure to intervene or interfere in any way and shape with shaping intelligence in a political way or in relationship to an ongoing investigation. On March 26, 2017, the day after the president called Coates, the president called NSA Director Admiral Michael Rogers. The president expressed frustration with the Russian investigation, saying that it made relations with the Russians difficult. The president told Rogers the thing that the thing with the Russia Russians. The president told Rogers the thing with the Russians was messing up his ability to get things done with Russia. The president also said that the news stories linking him with Russia were not true and asked Rogers if he could do anything to refute the stories. Deputy director of the NSA, Richard Leggett, who was present for the call, said it was the most unusual thing he had experienced in 40 years of government service. After the call concluded, Leggett prepared a memorandum that he and Rogers both signed documenting the content of the conversation and the president's request, and they placed the memorandum in a safe. But Rogers did not perceive the president's request to be in order, and the president did not ask Rogers to push back on the Russia investigation itself. Rogers later testified in a congressional hearing that as NSA director, he had never been directed to do anything he believed to be illegal, immoral, unethical, or inappropriate, and did not recall ever feeling pressure to do so. In addition to the specific comments made to Coates, Pompeo, and Rogers, the president spoke on other occasions in the presence of intelligence community officials about the Russia investigation and stated that it interfered with his ability to conduct foreign relations. On at least two occasions, the president began presidential daily briefings by stating that there was no collusion with Russia, and he hoped a press statement to that effect could be issued. Pompeo recalled that the president vented about the investigation on multiple occasions, complaining that there was no evidence against him and that nobody would publicly defend him. Rogers recalled a private conversation with the president in which he vented about the investigation, said he had done nothing wrong and said something like the Russia thing has got to go away. Coates recalled the president bringing up the Russia investigation several times and Coates said he finally told the president that Coates' job was to provide intelligence and not get involved in investigations. Four, the president asks Comey to lift the cloud created by the Russia investigation. On the morning of March 30th, 2017, the president reached out to Comey directly about the Russia investigation. According to Comey's contemporaneous record of the conversation, the president said he was trying to run the country and the cloud of this Russia business was making that difficult. The president asked Comey what could be done to lift the cloud. Comey explained that we were running it down as quickly as possible and there would be and that there would be great benefit if we didn't find anything to our good housekeeping seal of approval. But we had to do our work. Comey also said Comey also told the president that congressional leaders were aware that the FBI was not investigating the president personally. The president said several times we need to get that fact out. The president commented that if there was some satellite, which Comey took to mean an associate of the president's or the campaign that did something, it would be good to find that out, but that he himself had not done anything wrong and he hoped Comey would find a way to get out that we weren't investigating him. After the call ended, Comey called Bowente and told him 
about the conversation, asked for guidance on how to respond and said he was uncomfortable with direct contact from the president about the investigation. On the morning of April 11, 2017, the president called Comey again. According to Comey's contemporaneous record of the conversation, the president said he was following up to see if Comey did what the president had asked him last time, getting out that he personally is not under investigation. Comey responded that he had passed the request to Buente, but not heard back. And he informed the president that the traditional challenge for such a request would be to have the White House counsel contact DOJ leadership. The president said he would take that step. The president then added, because I have been very loyal to you, very loyal. We had that thing, you know. In a televised interview that was taped early that afternoon, the president was asked if it was too late for him to ask Comey to step down. The president responded, no, it's not too late. But, you know, I have confidence in him. We'll see what happens. You know, it's going to be interesting. After the interview, Hicks told the president she thought the president's comment about Comey should be removed from the broadcast of the interview. But the president wanted to keep it in, which Hicks thought was unusual. Later that day, the president told senior advisors, including McGahn and Priebus, that he had reached out to Comey twice in recent weeks. The president acknowledged that McGahn would not approve of the outreach to Comey because McGahn had previously cautioned the president that he should not talk to Comey directly to prevent any perception that the White House was interfering with investigations. The president told McGahn that Comey had indicated the FBI could make a public statement that the president was not under investigation if the Department of Justice approved that action. After speaking with the president, McGahn followed up with Buente to relay the president's understanding that the FBI could make a public announcement if the Department of Justice cleared it. McGahn recalled that Boente said Comey had told him there was nothing obstructive about the calls from the president, but they made Comey uncomfortable. According to McGahn, Boente responded that he did not want to issue a statement about the president not being under investigation because of the potential political ramifications and did not want to order Comey to do it because that action could prompt the appointment of a special counsel. Buente did not recall that aspect of his conversation with McGahn, but did recall telling McGahn that the direct outreaches from the president to Comey were a problem. Buente recalled that McGahn agreed and said he would do what he could to address that issue. Analysis. In analyzing the president's reaction to Sessions' recusal and the requests he made to Coates, Pompeo, Rogers and Comey, the following evidence is relevant to the elements of obstruction of justice. A. Obstructive act. The evidence shows that after Comey's March 20th, 2017 testimony, the president repeatedly reached out to intelligence agency leaders to discuss the FBI's investigation. But witnesses had different recollections of the precise content of those outreaches. Some ODNI officials recall that Coates told them immediately after the March 22nd Oval Office meeting that the president asked Coates to intervene with Comey and stop the investigation. But the firsthand witnesses to the encounter remember the conversation differently. Pompeo had no memory of the specific meeting, but generally recalled the president urging officials to get the word out that the president had not done anything wrong related to Russia. Coates recalled that the president asked that Coates state publicly that no link existed between the president and Russia but did not ask him 
to speak with Comey or to help in the investigation. The other outreaches by the president during this period were similar in nature. The president asked Rogers if he could do anything to refute the stories linking the president to Russia. And the president asked Comey to make a public statement that would lift the cloud of the ongoing investigation by making clear that the president was not personally under investigation. These requests, while significant enough that Rogers thought it important to document the encounter in a written memorandum, were not interpreted by the officials who received them as directives to improperly interfere with the investigation. B, nexus to a proceeding. At the time of the president's outreaches to leaders of the intelligence agencies in late March and early April 2017, the FBI's Russia investigation did not yet involve grand jury proceedings. The outreaches, however, came after and were in response to Comey's March 20th, 2017 announcement that the FBI, as a part of its counterintelligence mission, was conducting an investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. Comey testified that the investigation included any links or coordination with Trump campaign officials and would include an assessment of whether any crimes were committed. C. Intent. As described above, the evidence does not establish that the president asked or directed intelligence agency leaders to stop or interfere with the FBI's Russia investigation. And the president affirmatively told Comey that if some satellite was involved in Russian interference, it would be good to find that out. But the president's intent in trying to prevent Sessions' recusal and in reaching out to Coates, Pompeo, Rogers, and Comey following Comey's public announcement of the FBI's Russia investigation is nevertheless relevant to understanding what motivated the president's other actions towards the investigation. The evidence shows that the president was focused on the Russia investigation's implications for his presidency and specifically on dispelling any suggestion that he was under investigation or had links to Russia. In early March, the president attempted to prevent Sessions' recusal even after being told that Sessions was following DOJ conflict of interest rules. After Sessions recused, the White House counsel's office tried to cut off further contact with Sessions about the matter, although it is not clear whether that direction was conveyed to the president. The president continued to raise the issue of Sessions' recusal, and when he had the opportunity, he pulled Sessions aside and urged him to unrecuse. The president's also, sorry, the president also told advisors that he wanted an attorney general who would protect him the way he perceived Robert Kennedy and Eric Holder to have protected their presidents. The president made statements about being able to direct the course of criminal investigation, saying words to the effect of, you're telling me that Bobby and Jack didn't talk about investigations or Obama didn't tell Eric Holder who to investigate? After Comey publicly confirmed the existence of the FBI's Russia investigation on March 20th, 2017, the president was beside himself and expressed anger that Comey did not issue a statement correcting any misperception that the president himself was under investigation. The president sought to speak with acting attorney general Buente directly and told McGahn to contact Buente to request that Comey make a clarifying statement. The president then asked other intelligence community leaders to make public statements to refute the suggestion that the president had links to Russia, but the leaders told him they could not publicly comment on the investigation. 
on March 30th and April 11th against the advice of White House advisors who had informed him that any direct contact with the FBI could be perceived as improper interference in an ongoing investigation, the president made personal outreaches to Comey, asking him to lift the cloud of the Russia investigation by making public the fact that the president was not personally under investigation. Evidence indicates that the president was angered by both the existence of the Russia investigation and the public reporting that he was under investigation, which he knew was not true based on Comey's representations. The president complained to advisors that if people thought Russia helped him win the election, it would detract from what he had accomplished. Other evidence indicates that the president was concerned about the impact of the Russia investigation on his ability to govern. The president complained that the perception that he was under investigation was hurting his ability to conduct foreign relations, particularly with Russia. The president told Coates he can't do anything with Russia. He told Rogers that the thing with the Russians was interfering with his ability to conduct foreign affairs. And he told Comey that he was trying to run the country and the cloud of this Russia business was making that difficult. D. Evidence leading up to and surrounding the termination of FBI Director Comey. Overview. Comey was scheduled to to testify before Congress on May 3rd, 2017. Leading up to that testimony, the president continued to tell advisors that he wanted Comey to make public that the president was not under investigation. At the hearing, Comey declined to answer questions about the scope or subjects of the Russia investigation and did not state publicly that the president was not under investigation. Two days later, on May 5th, 2017, the president told close aides he was going to fire Comey. And on May 9th, he did so, using his official termination letter to make public that Comey had on three occasions informed the president that he was not under investigation. The president decided to fire Comey before receiving advice or recommendation from the Department of Justice, but he approved an initial public account of the termination that attributed it to a recommendation from the Department of Justice based on Comey's handling of the Clinton email investigation. After Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein stated, oh, after Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein resisted attributing the firing to his recommendation, the president acknowledged that he intended to fire Comey regardless of the DOJ recommendation and was thinking of the Russia investigation when he made the decision. The president also told the Russian foreign minister, I just fired the head of the FBI. He was crazy, a real nut job. I faced great pressure because of Russia. That's taken off. I'm not under investigation. Evidence. One, Comey testifies before the Senate Judiciary Committee and declines to answer questions about whether the president is under investigation. On May 3rd, 2017, Comey was scheduled to testify at an FBI oversight hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee. McGahn recalled that in the week leading up to the hearing, the president said that it would be the last straw if Comey did not take the opportunity to set the record straight by publicly announcing that the president was not under investigation. The president, previ- the president had previously told McGahn that the perception that the president was under investigation was hurting his ability to carry out his presidential duties and deal with foreign leaders. At the hearing, Comey declined to answer questions 
about the status of the Russia investigation, stating the Department of Justice had authorized him to confirm that the Russia investigation exists, but that he was not going to say another word about it until the investigation was completed. Comey also declined to answer questions about whether investigators had ruled out anyone in the Trump campaign as as a as potentially a target of the criminal investigation, including whether the FBI had ruled out the president of the United States. Comey was also asked at the hearing about his decision to announce 11 days before the presidential election that the FBI was reopening the Clinton email investigation. Comey stated that it made him mildly nauseous to think that we might have had some impact on the election but added that even in hindsight, he would make the same decision. He later repeated that he had no regrets about how he handled the email investigation and believes he had done the right thing at each turn. In the afternoon following Comey's testimony, the president met with McGahn, Sessions, and Sessions Chief of Staff Jody Hunt. At that meeting, the president asked McGahn how Comey had done in his testimony and McGahn relayed that Comey had declined to answer questions about whether the president was under investigation. The president became very upset and directed his anger at Sessions. According to notes written by Hunt, the president said, this is terrible, Jeff. It's all because you recused. AG is supposed to be most important appointment. Kennedy appointed his brother. Obama appointed Holder. I guess he figured that was his brother, too. I appointed you and you recuse yourself. You left me on an island. I can't do anything. The president said that this is so crazy. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. The president said that the recusal was unfair and that it was interfering with his ability to govern and undermining his authority with foreign leaders. Sessions responded that he had no choice but to recuse and it was a mandatory rather than discretionary decision. Hunt recalled that Sessions also stated at some point during the conversation that a new start at the FBI would be appropriate and the president should consider replacing Comey as FBI director. According to Sessions, when the meeting concluded, it was clear that the president was unhappy with Comey. But Sessions did not think the president had made the decision to terminate Comey. Bannon recalled that the president brought Comey up with him at least eight times on May 3rd and May 4th, 2017. According to Bannon, the president said the same thing each time. He told me three times, I'm not under investigation. He's a showboater. He's a grandstander. I don't know any Russians. There was no collusion. Bannon also told the president that firing Comey was not going to stop the investigation, cautioning him that he could fire the FBI director, but could not fire the FBI. Number two, the president makes the decision to terminate Comey. The weekend following Comey's May 3rd, 2017 testimony, the president traveled to his resort in Bedminster, New Jersey. At a dinner on Friday, May 5th, attended by the president and various advisors and family members, including Jared Kushner and senior advisor Stephen Miller, the president stated that he wanted to remove Comey and had ideas for a letter that would be used to make the announcement. The president dictated arguments and specific language for the letter, and Miller took notes. As reflected in the notes, the president told Miller that the letter should start, while I greatly appreciate you informing me that I am not under investigation, 
concerning what I have often stated is a fabricated story on a Trump-Russia relationship pertaining to the 2016 presidential election, please be informed that I, and I believe the American public, including D's and R's, have lost faith in you as director of the FBI. Following the dinner, Miller prepared a termination letter based on those notes and research he conducted to support the president's arguments. Over the weekend, the president provided several rounds of edits on the draft letter. Miller said the president was adamant that he not tell anyone at the White House what they were preparing because the president was worried about leaks. In his discussions with Miller, the president made clear that he wanted the letter to open with a reference to him not being under investigation. In his discussions with Miller, the president made clear that he wanted the letter to open with a reference to him not being under investigation. Miller said he believed that fact was important to the president to show that Comey was not being terminated based on any such investigation. According to Miller, the president wanted to establish as a factual matter that Comey had been under a review period and did not have assurance from the president that he would be permitted to keep his job. The final version of the termination letter prepared by Miller and the president began in a way that closely tracked what the president had dictated to Miller at the May 5th dinner. Dear Director Comey, while I greatly appreciate your informing me on three separate occasions that I am not under investigation concerning the fabricated and politically motivated allegations of a Trump-Russia relationship with respect to the 2016 presidential election, please be informed that I, along with members of both political parties, and most importantly, the American public, have lost faith in you as the director of the FBI, and you are hereby terminated. The four-page letter went on to critique Comey's judgment and conduct, including his May 3rd testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, his handling of the Clinton email investigation, and his failure to hold leakers accountable. The letter stated that Comey had asked the president at dinner shortly after inauguration to let Comey stay on in the director's role. And the president said that he would consider it. But the president has concluded that he had no alternative but to find new leadership for the bureau, a leader that restores confidence and trust. In the morning of Monday, May 8th, 2017, the president met in the Oval Office with senior advisors, including McGahn, Priebus, and Miller, and informed them he had decided to terminate Comey. The president read aloud the first paragraphs of the termination letter he wrote with Miller and conveyed that the decision had been made and was not up for discussion. The president told the group that Miller had researched the issue and determined the president had the authority to terminate Comey without cause. In an effort to slow down the decision-making process, McGahn told the president that DOJ leadership was currently discussing Comey's status and suggested that White House Counsel Office attorneys should talk with Sessions and Rod Rosenstein, who had recently been confirmed as the Deputy Attorney General. McGahn said that previously scheduled meetings with Sessions and Rosenstein that day would be an opportunity to find out what they thought about firing Comey. At noon, Sessions, Rosenstein, and Hunt met with McGahn and White House Counsel's Office Attorney Utam Dillon at the White House. McGahn said that the president had decided to fire Comey and asked for Sessions and Rosenstein's views. 
Sessions and Rosenstein criticized Comey and did not raise concerns about replacing him. McGahn and Dillon said the fact that neither Sessions nor Rosenstein objected to replacing Comey gave them peace of mind that the president's decision to fire Comey was not an attempt to obstruct justice. An Oval Office meeting was scheduled later that day so that Sessions and Rosenstein could discuss the issue with the president. At around 5 p.m., the president and several White House officials met with Comey and Rosenstein to discuss Comey. The president told the group that he had watched Comey's May 3rd testimony over the weekend and thought that something was not right with Comey. The president said that Comey should be removed and asked Sessions and Rosenstein for their views. Hunt, who was in the room, recalled that Sessions responded that he had previously recommended that Comey be replaced. McGann and Dillon said Rosenstein described his concerns about Comey's handling of the Clinton email investigation. The president then distributed copies of the termination letter he had drafted with Miller, and the discussion turned to the mechanics of how to fire Comey and whether the president's letter should be used. McGahn and Dillon urged the president to permit Comey to resign, but the president was adamant that he be fired. The group discussed the possibility that Rosenstein and Sessions could provide a recommendation in writing that Comey should be removed. The president agreed and told Rosenstein to draft a memorandum, but said he wanted to receive it first thing the next morning. Hunt's notes reflected that the president told Rosenstein to include in his recommendation the fact that Comey had refused to confirm that the president was not personally under investigation. According to notes taken by a senior DOJ official of Rosenstein's description of his meeting with the president, the president said, put the Russia stuff in the memo. Rosenstein responded that the Russia investigation was not the basis of his recommendation so he did not think Russia should be mentioned. The president told Rosenstein he would appreciate it if Rosenstein put it in his letter anyway. When Rosenstein left the meeting, he knew that Comey would be terminated, and he told DOJ colleagues that his own reasons for replacing Comey were not the president's reasons. On May 9th, Hunt delivered to the White House a letter from Sessions recommending Comey's removal and a memorandum from Rosenstein addressed to the attorney general titled Restoring Public Confidence in the FBI. McGahn recalled that the president liked the DOJ letters and agreed that they should provide the foundation for a new cover letter from the president accepting the recommendation to terminate Comey. Notes taken by Donaldson on May 9th reflected the view of the White House counsel's office that the president's original termination letter should not see the light of day and that it would be better to offer no other rationales for the firing than what was in Rosenstein's and Sessions' memoranda. The president asked Miller to draft a new termination letter and directed Miller to stay in the letter, no, and directed Miller to say in the letter that Comey had informed the president three times that he was not under investigation. McGahn, Priebus, and Dillon objected to including that language, but the president insisted that it be included. McGahn, Priebus, and others perceived that language to be the most important part of the letter. 
to the president. Dylan made a final pitch to the president that Comey should be permitted to resign, but the president refused. Around the time the president's letter was finalized, Priebus summoned Spicer and the press team to the Oval Office where they were told that Comey had been terminated for the reasons stated in the letters by Rosenstein and Sessions. To announce Comey's termination, the White House released a statement which Priebus thought had been dictated by the president. In full, the statement read, Today, President Donald J. Trump informed FBI Director Comey that he has been terminated and removed from office. President Trump acted based on based on the clear recommendations of both Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and, and Attorney General Jeff Sessions. At, at that evening, FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe was summoned to meet with the president at the White House. The president told McCabe, He had fired Comey because of the decisions Comey had made in the Clinton email investigations and for many other reasons. The president asked McCabe if he was aware that Comey had told the president three times that he was not under investigation. The president also asked McCabe whether many people in the FBI disliked Comey and whether McCabe was part of the resistance that had disagreed with Comey's decisions in the Clinton investigations. McCabe told the president that he knew Comey had told the president he was not under investigation, that most people in the FBI felt positively about Comey, and that McCabe worked very closely with Comey and was part of all the decisions that had been made in the Clinton investigation. Later that evening, the president told his communication team he was unhappy with the press coverage of Comey's termination and ordered them to go out and defend him. The president also called Chris Christie and according to Christie said he was getting killed in the press over Comey's termination. The president asked what he should do. Christie asked, did you fire Comey because of what Rod wrote in the memo? And the president responded, yes. Christie said that the president should get Rod out there and have him defend the decision. The the president told Christie that this was a good idea and said he was going to call Rosenstein right away. That night, the White House press office called the Department of Justice and said the White House wanted to put out a statement saying that it was Rosenstein's idea to fire Comey. Rosenstein told other DOJ officials that he would not participate in putting out a false story. The president then called Rosenstein directly and said he was watching Fox News, that the coverage had been great, and that he wanted Rosenstein to do a press conference. Rosenstein responded that this was not a good idea because if the press asked him, he would tell the truth that Comey's firing was not his idea. Sessions also informed the White House counsel's office that that evening that Rosenstein was upset that his memorandum was being portrayed as the reason for Comey's termination. In an unplanned press conference late in the evening of May 9, 2017, Spicer told reporters it was all Rosenstein. No one from the White House. It was a DOJ decision. That evening and the next morning, White House officials and spokespeople continued to maintain that the president's decision to terminate Comey was driven by the recommendations the president received from Rosenstein and Sessions. In the morning on May 10th, 2017, President Trump met with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov and Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak. In the Oval Office, the media subsequently reported that during the May 10th meeting, the president brought up his decision the prior day to terminate Comey. 
telling Lavrov and Kislyak, I just fired the head of the FBI. He was crazy. A real nut job. I faced great pressure because of Russia. That's taken off. I'm not under investigation. The president never denied making those statements and the White House did not dispute the account. Instead, issuing a statement that said by grandstanding and publicizing the investigation into Russia's actions, James Comey created unnecessary pressure on our ability to engage and negotiate with Russia. The investigation would have always continued. And obviously, the termination of Comey would not have ended it. Once again, the real story is that our national security has been undermined by the leaking of private and highly classified information. Hicks said that when she told the president about the reports on his meeting with Lavrov, he did not look concerned and said of Comey, he is crazy. When McGahn asked the president about his comments to Lavrov, the president said it was good that Comey was fired because that took the pressure off by making it clear that he was not under investigation so he could get more work done. That same morning on May 10th, 2017, the president called McCabe. According to a memorandum McCabe wrote following the call, President Mc, pre, the president asked McCabe to come over to the White House to discuss whether the president should visit FBI headquarters and make a speech to employees. The president has said the president said he had received hundreds of messages from FBI employees indicating their support for terminating Comey. The president also told McCabe that Comey should not have been permitted to travel back to Washington, D.C. on the FBI's airplane after he had been terminated and that he did not want Comey in the building again, even to collect his belongings. When McCabe met with the president that afternoon, the president, without prompting, told McCabe that people in the FBI loved the president, estimated that at least 80 percent of the FBI had voted for him and asked McCabe who he voted for in the 2016 presidential election. In the afternoon of May 10th, 2017, Deputy Press Secretary Sarah Sanders spoke to the president about his decision to fire Comey and then spoke to reporters in a televised press conference. Sanders told reporters that the president, the Department of Justice, and bipartisan members of Congress had lost confidence in Comey. And most importantly, the rank and file of the FBI had lost confidence in their director. Accordingly, the president accepted the recommendation of his deputy attorney general to remove James Comey from his position. In response to questions from reporters, Sanders said that Rosenstein decided on his own to review Comey's performance and that Rosenstein decided on his own to come to the president on Monday, May 8th to express his concerns about Comey. When a reporter indicated that the vast majority of FBI agents supported Comey, Sanders said, look, we've heard from countless members of the FBI that say very different things. Following the press conference, Sanders spoke to the president, who told her she did a good job and did not point out any inaccuracies to her comments. Sanders told this office that her reference to hearing from countless members of the FBI was a slip of the tongue. She also recalled that her statement in a separate press interview that rank and file FBI agents had lost confidence in Comey was a comment she made in the heat of the moment that was not founded on anything. Also on May 10th, 2017, Sessions and Rosenstein each spoke to McGahn and expressed concern that the White House was creating a narrative that Rosenstein had initiated the decision to fire Comey. 
The White House Counsel's Office agreed that it was factually wrong to say that the Department of Justice had initiated Comey's termination. And McGahn asked attorneys in the White House Counsel's Office to work with the press office to correct the narrative. The next day on May 11, 2017, the president participated in an interview with Lester Holt. The president told White House Counsel's Office attorneys in advance of the interview that the communications team could not get the story right. So he was going on Lester Holt to say what really happened. During the interview, the president stated that he had made the decision to fire Comey before the president met with Rosenstein and Sessions. The president told Holt, I was going to fire regardless of recommendation. Rosenstein made a recommendation, but regardless of recommendation, I was going to fire Comey knowing there was no good time to do it. The president continued. And in fact, when I decided to just do it, I said to myself, I said, you know, this Russia thing with Trump and Russia is a made up story. It's an excuse by the Democrats for having lost an election. that They should have won. That's, I agree with him on that part. In response to a question about whether he was angry with Comey about the Russia investigation, the president said, as far as I'm concerned, I want the thing I want that thing to be absolutely done properly. The president added that he realized his termination of Comey probably probably maybe will confuse people with the result that it might even lengthen out the investigation. But he had to do the right thing for the American people. And Comey was the wrong man for that position. The president described Comey as a showboat and a grandstander said that the FBI has been in turmoil and said he wanted to have a really competent, capable director. The president affirmed that he expected the new FBI director to continue the Russia investigation. On the evening of May 11, 2017, following the Lester Holt interview, the president tweeted, Russia must be laughing up their sleeves, watching as the U.S. tears itself apart over a Democrat excuse for losing the election. The same day... The media reported that the president had demanded that Comey pledge his loyalty to the president in a private dinner shortly after being sworn in. Late in the morning of May 12, 2017, the president tweeted again, the story that there was collusion between the Russians and Trump campaign was fabricated by Dems as an excuse for losing the election. The president also tweeted, James Comey better hope that there are no tapes of our conversations before he starts leaking to the press. And when James Clapper himself and virtually everyone else with knowledge of the, of the witch hunt says there is no collusion, when does it end? Analysis. In analyzing the president's decision to fire Comey, the following evidence is relevant to the elements of obstruction of justice. A. Obstructive act. The act of firing Comey removed the individual overseeing the FBI Russia investigation. The president knew that Comey was personally involved in the investigation based on Comey's briefing of the Gang of Eight, Comey's March 20th, 2017 public testimony about the investigation, and the president's one-on-one conversations with Comey. Firing Comey would qualify as an obstructive act if it had the natural and probable effect of interfering with or impeding the investigation. For example, If the termination would have the effect of delaying or disrupting the investigation or providing the president with the opportunity 
to appoint a director who would take a different approach to the investigation that the president perceived as more protective of his personal interests. Relevant circumstances bearing on that issue include whether the president's actions had the potential to discourage a successor director or other law enforcement officials in their conduct of the Russia investigation. The president fired Comey abruptly without offering him an opportunity to resign, banned him from the FBI building and criticized him publicly, calling him a showboat and claiming that the FBI was in turmoil under his leadership. And the president followed the termination with public statements that were highly critical of the investigation. For example, three days after firing Comey, the president referred to the investigation as a witch hunt and asked, when does it end? Those actions had the potential to affect the successor's direct, successor director's conduct of the investigation. The anticipated effect of removing the FBI director, however, would not necessarily be to prevent or impede the FBI from continuing its investigation. As a general matter, FBI investigations run under the operational direction of FBI personal personnel levels below the FBI director. Bannon made a similar point when he told the president that he could fire the FBI director, but could not fire the FBI. The White House issued a press statement that the day after Comey was fired that said the investigation would have always continued and obviously the termination of Comey would not have ended it. In addition, in his May 11th interview with Lester Holt, the president stated that he understood when he made the decision to fire Comey that the action might prolong the investigation. And the president chose McCabe to serve as interim director, even though McCabe told the president he had worked very closely with Comey and was part of all the decisions made in the Clinton investigation. Nexus B, nexus to a proceeding. The nexus element would be satisfied by evidence showing that a grand jury proceeding or criminal prosecution arising from an FBI investigation was objectively foreseeable and actually contemplated by the president when he terminated Comey. Several facts would be relevant to show to such a showing. At the time the president fired Comey, a grand jury had not begun to hear evidence related to the Russia investigation and no grand jury subpoenas had been issued. On March 20th, 2017, however, Comey had announced that the FBI was investigating Russia's interference in the election, including an assessment of whether any crimes were committed. It was widely known that the FBI, as part of the Russia investigation, was investigating the hacking of the DNC's computers, a clear criminal offense. In addition, at the time the president fired Comey, evidence indicates the president knew that Flynn was still under criminal investigation and could potentially be prosecuted, despite the president's February 14th, 2017 request that Comey let Flynn go. On March 5th, 2017, the White House Counsel's Office was informed that the FBI was asking for transition period records relating to Flynn, indicating that the FBI was still actively investigating him. The same day, the president told advisors he wanted to call Dana Buente, then the acting attorney general for the Russia investigation to find out whether the White House or the president was being investigated. On March 31st, 2017, the president signaled his awareness that Flynn remained in legal jeopardy, 
by tweeting that Mike Flynn should ask for immunity before he agreed to provide testimony to the FBI or Congress. And in late March or early April, the president asked McFarland to pass a message to Flynn telling him that the president felt bad for him and that he should stay strong, further demonstrating the president's awareness of Flynn's criminal exposure. C. Intent. Substantial evidence indicates that the catalyst for the president's decision to fire Comey was Comey's unwillingness to publicly state that the president was not personally under investigation, despite the president's repeated requests that Comey make such an announcement. In the week leading up to Comey's May 3rd, 2017 Senate Judiciary Committee testimony, the president told McGahn that it would be the last straw if Comey did not set the record straight and publicly announced that the president was not under investigation. But during his May 3rd testimony, Comey refused to answer questions about whether the president was being investigated. Comey's refusal angered the president, who criticized Sessions for leaving him isolated and exposed, saying, you left me on an island. Two days later, the president told advisors he had decided to fire Comey and dictated a letter to Stephen Miller that began with a rep with a reference to the fact that the president was not being investigated. While I greatly appreciate you informing me that I am not under investigation concerning what I have often stated is a fabricated story on a Trump-Russia relationship. The president later asked Rosenstein to include Russia in his memorandum and to say that Comey had told the president that he was not under investigation. And the president's final determination, I'm sorry. And the president's final termination letter included a sentence at the president's insistence and against McGahn's advice, stating that Comey had told the president on three separate occasions that he was not under investigation. The president's other stated rationales for why he fired Comey are not similarly supported by the evidence. The termination letter the president and Stephen Miller prepared in Bedminster cited Comey's handling of the Clinton email investigation and the president told McCabe he fired Comey for that reason. But the facts surrounding Comey's handling of the Clinton email investigation were well known to the president at the time he assumed office. And the president had made it clear to both Comey and the president's senior staff in early 2017 that he wanted Comey to stay on as director. And Rosenstein articulated his criticism of Comey's handling of the Clinton investigation after the president had already decided to fire Comey. The president's draft termination letter also stated that morale in the FBI was at an all-time low. And Sanders told the press after Comey's termination that the White House had heard from countless FBI agents who had lost confidence in Comey. But the evidence does not support those claims. The president told Comey at their January 27th dinner that the people of the FBI really like him. No evidence suggests that the president heard otherwise before deciding to terminate Comey. And Sanders acknowledged to investigators that her comments were not founded on anything. We also consider why it was important to the president that Comey announced publicly that he was not under investigation. Some evidence indicates that the president believed that the erroneous perception he was under investigation harmed his ability to manage domestic and foreign affairs, particularly in dealings with Russia. The president told Comey that the cloud of this Russia business was making it difficult to run the country. 
The president told Sessions and McGahn that foreign leaders had expressed sympathy to him for being under investigation and that the perception he was under investigation was hurting his ability to address foreign relation issues. The president complained to Rogers that the thing with the Russians was messing up his ability to get things done with Russia and told Coates, I can't do anything with Russia. There's things I'd like to do with Russia, with trade, with ISIS. They're all over me with this. The president also may have viewed Comey as insubordinate for his failure to make clear in the May 3rd testimony that the president was not under investigation. Other evidence, however, indicates that the president wanted to protect himself from an investigation into his campaign. The day after learning about the FBI's interview of Flynn, the president had a one-on-one dinner with Comey against the advice of senior aides and told Comey he needed Comey's loyalty. When the president later asked Comey for a second time to make public that he was not under investigation, he brought up loyalty again, saying, because I have been very loyal to you, very loyal. We had that thing, you know. After the president learned of Sessions' recusal from the Russia investigation, the president was furious and said he wanted an attorney general who would protect him the way he perceived Robert Kennedy and Eric Holder to have protected their presidents. The president also said he wanted to be able to tell his attorney general who to investigate. In addition, the president had a motive to put the FBI's Russia investigation behind him. The evidence does not establish that the termination of Comey was designed to cover up a conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russia, as described in volume one. The evidence uncovered in the investigation did not establish that the president or those close to him were involved in the charge Russian computer hacking or active measure conspiracies or that the president otherwise had an unlawful relationship with any Russian official. But the evidence does indicate that a thorough FBI investigation would uncover facts about the campaign and the president personally that the president could have understood to be crimes or that would give rise to personal and political concerns. Although the president publicly stated during and after the election that he had no connection to Russia, the Trump organization through Michael Cohen was pursuing the proposed Trump Tower Moscow project through June 2016 and candidate Trump was repeatedly briefed on the progress of those efforts. In addition, some witnesses said that Trump was aware that this is redacted for harm to ongoing matter at a time when public reports stated that Russian intelligence officials were behind the hacks and that Trump privately sought information about future WikiLeaks releases. More broadly, Multiple witnesses described the president's preoccupation with press coverage of the Russia investigation and his persistent concern that it raised questions about the legitimacy of the election. Uh, Footnote 500 on page 77 of volume two. In addition to whether the president had a motive related to Russia related matters that an FBI investigation could uncover, we considered whether the president's intent in firing Comey was connected to other conduct that could come to light as a result of the FBI's Russian interference investigation. In particular, Michael Cohen was a potential subject of investigation because of his pursuit of the Trump Tower Moscow project and involvement in other activities. And facts uncovered in the Russia investigation, which our office referred to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, 
ultimately led to the conviction of Cohen in the Southern District of New York for campaign finance offenses related to payments he said he made at the direction of the president. The investigation, however, did not establish that when the president fired Comey, he was considering the possibility that the FBI's investigation would uncover those payments or that the president's intent in firing Comey was otherwise connected to a concern about these matters coming to light. Finally, the president and White House aides initially advanced a pretextual reason to the press and the public for Comey's termination. In the immediate aftermath of the firing, the president dictated a press statement suggesting that he had acted based on the DOJ recommendations and White House press officials repeated that that story. But the president had decided to fire Comey before the White House solicited those recommendations. Although the president ultimately acknowledged that he was going to fire Comey regardless of the Department of Justice's recommendations, he did so only after DOJ officials made clear to him that they would resist the White House's suggestion that they had prompted the process that led to Comey's termination. The initial reliance on our pretextual justification could, could support an inference that the president had concerns about providing the real reason for the firing, although the evidence does not resolve whether those concerns were personal, political, or both. E, the president's efforts to remove the special counsel. Overview. The acting attorney general appointed a special counsel on May 17, 2017, prompting the president to state that it was the end of his presidency and that attorney general Sessions had failed to protect him and should resign. Sessions submitted his resignation, which the president ultimately did not accept. The president told senior advisors that the special counsel had conflicts of interest, but they responded that those claims are ridiculous and pose no obstacle to the special counsel service. Department of Justice ethics officials similarly cleared the special counsel's service. On June 14th, 2017, the press reported that the president was being personally investigated for obstruction of justice. And the president responded with a series of tweets criticizing the special counsel's investigation. That weekend, the president called McGahn and directed him to have the special counsel removed because of asserted conflicts of interest. McGahn did not carry out the instruction for fear of being seen as triggering another Saturday night massacre and instead prepared to resign. McGahn's ultimate, McGahn ultimately did not quit and the president did not follow up with McGahn on his request to have the special counsel removed. Evidence. One, the appointment of the special counsel and the president's reaction. On May 17, 2017, Acting Attorney General Rosenstein appointed Robert S. Mueller III. On May 17, 2017, Acting Attorney General Rosenstein appointed Robert S. Mueller III as special counsel and authorized him to conduct the Russia investigation and matters that arose from the investigation. The president learned of the special counsel's appointment from Sessions, who was with the president, Hunt and McGahn, conducting interviews for a new FBI director. Sessions stepped out of the Oval Office to take a call from Rosenstein, who told him about the special counsel's appointment. Sessions stepped out of the Oval Office to take a call from Rosenstein, who told him about the special counsel appointment, and Sessions then returned to inform the president of the news. According to notes written by Hunt, when Sessions told the president that a special counsel had been appointed, the president slumped back in his chair and said, 
oh my God, this is terrible. This is the end of my presidency. I'm fucked. Sorry, parents. It's a direct quote. Leave that in there to apologize to all the parents. The president became angry and lambasted the attorney general for his decision to recuse from the investigation, stating, how could you let this happen, Jeff? The president said the position of attorney general was his most important appointment and that Sessions had let him down, contrasting him to Eric Holder and Robert Kennedy. Sessions recalled that the president said to him, you were supposed to protect me or words to that effect. The president returned to the consequences of the appointment and said, everyone tells me if you get one of these independent councils, it ruins your presidency. It takes years and years and I won't be able to do anything. This is the worst thing that ever happened to me. The president then told Sessions he should resign as attorney general. Sessions agreed to submit his resignation and left the Oval Office. Hicks saw the president shortly after Sessions departed and described the president as being extremely upset by the special counsel's appointment. Hicks said that she had only seen the president like that one other time when the Access Hollywood tape came out during the campaign. The next day, May 18, 2017, FBI agents delivered to McGahn a preservation notice that discussed an investigation related to Comey's termination and directed the White House to preserve all relevant documents. When he received the letter, McGahn issued a document hold to White House staff and instructed them not to send out any burn bags over the weekend while he sorted things out. Also on May 18th, Sessions finalized a resignation letter that stated, pursuant to our conversation of yesterday and at your request, I hereby offer my resignation. Sessions, accompanied by Hunt, brought the letter to the White House and handed it to the president. The president put the resignation letter in his pocket and asked Sessions several times whether he wanted to continue serving as attorney general. Sessions ultimately told the president he wanted to stay, but it was up to the president. The president said he wanted Sessions to stay. At the conclusion of the meeting, the president shook Sessions' hand but did not return the resignation letter. When Priebus and Bannon learned that the president was holding on to Sessions' resignation letter, they became concerned that it could be used to influence the Department of Justice. This is like a bad movie. Priebus told Sessions it was not good for the president to have the letter because it would function as kind of a shock collar that the president could use anytime he wanted. Priebus said the president had DOJ by the throat. Priebus and Bannon told Sessions they would attempt to get the letter back from the president with a notation that he was not accepting Sessions' resignation. On May 19th, 2017, the president left for a trip to the Middle East. Hicks recalled that on the president's flight from Saudi Arabia to Tel Aviv, the president pulled Sessions' resignation letter from his pocket, showed it to a group of senior advisors, and asked them what he should do about it. During the trip, Priebus asked about the resignation letter so he could return it to Sessions. But the president told him that the letter was back at the White House, somewhere in the residence. It was not until May 30th, three days after the president returned from the trip, that the president returned the letter to to Sessions with the notation saying, not accepted. Okay, I'm going to read this note. It's a footnote 527. Uh, The 518-17 letter, Sessions to President Trump resignation letter. Robert Porter, who was the White House staff secretary at the time, said that in the days after the president returned from the Middle East trip, the president took Sessions' letter out of a drawer in the Oval Office and showed it to Porter. 
The rest of this is redacted for personal privacy. Okay, number two, the president asserts that the special counsel has conflicts of interest. In the days following the special counsel uh, counsel's appointment, the president repeatedly told advisors, including previous Bannon and McGahn, that special counsel Mueller had conflicts of interest. The president cited as conflicts that Mueller had interviewed for the FBI director position shortly before being appointed a special counsel, that he had worked for a law firm that represented people affiliated with the president, and that Mueller had disputed certain fees relating to his membership in a Trump golf course in Northern Virginia. The president's advisors pushed back on his assertion of conflicts, telling the president they did not count as true conflicts. Bannon recalled telling the president that the purported conflicts were ridiculous and that none of them was real or could come close to justifying precluding Mueller from serving as special counsel. As for Mueller's interview for FBI director, Bannon recalled that the White House had invited Mueller to speak to the president to offer a perspective on the institution of the FBI. Bannon said that although the White House thought about beseeching Mueller to become director again, he did not come in looking for the job. Bannon also told the president that the law firm position did not amount to a conflict in the legal community. And Bannon told the president that the golf course dispute did not rise to the level of a conflict and claiming one was ridiculous and petty. The president did not respond when Bannon pushed back on the stated conflicts of interest. On May 23rd, 2017, the Department of Justice announced that ethics officials had determined that the special counsel's prior law firm position did not bar his service, generating media reports that Mueller had been cleared to serve. McGahn recalled that around the time, McGahn recalled that around the same time, the president complained about the asserted conflicts and prodded McGahn to reach out to Rosenstein about the issue. McGahn said he responded that he could not make such a call and that the president should instead consult his personal lawyer because it was not a White House issue. Contemporaneous notes of a May 23rd, 2017 conversation between McGahn and the president reflect that McGahn told the president that he would not call Rosenstein and that he would suggest that the president not make such a call either. McGahn advised that the president could discuss the issue with his personal attorney, but it would look like still trying to meddle in the investigation and knocking out Mueller would be another fact used to claim obstruction of justice. McGahn told the president that his biggest exposure was not his act of firing Comey, but his other contacts and calls and his ass Ari Flynn. By the time McGahn provided this advice to the president, there had been widespread reporting on the president's request for Comey's loyalty, which the president publicly denied. His request that Comey let Flynn go, which the president also denied, and the president's statement to the Russian foreign minister that the termination of Comey had relieved great pressure related to Russia, which the president did not deny. On June 8th, 2017, Comey testified before Congress about his interactions with the president before his termination, including the request for loyalty, the request that Comey let Flynn go, the request that Comey lift the cloud over the new presidency caused by the ongoing investigation. Comey's testimony led to a series of news reports about whether the president had obstructed justice. On June 9th, 2017, 
The special counsel's office informed the White House counsel's office that investigators intended to interview intelligence community officials who had allegedly been asked by the president to push back against the Russia investigation. On Monday, June 12th, 2017, Christopher Ruddy, the chief executive of Newsmax Media and a longtime friend of the president's, met at the White House with Priebus and Bannon. Ruddy recalled that they told him the president was strongly considering firing the special counsel and that he would do so precipitously without vetting the decision through administration officials. Ruddy asked Priebus if Ruddy could talk publicly about the discussion that they had about the special counsel, and Priebus said he could. Priebus told Ruddy he hoped another blow-up like the one that followed the termination of Comey did not happen. Later that day, Ruddy stated in a televised interview that the president was considering perhaps terminating the special counsel based on purported conflicts of interest. Ruddy later told another news outlet that Trump is definitely considering terminating the special counsel, and it's not something that's being dismissed. Ruddy's comments led to extensive coverage in the media that the president was considering firing the special counsel. White House officials were unhappy with their press coverage, and Ruddy heard from friends that the president was upset with him. On June 13, 2017, Sanders asked the president for guidance on how to respond to press inquiries about the possible firing of the special counsel. The president dictated an answer, which Sanders delivered, saying that while the president has every right to fire the special counsel, he has no intention to do so. Also on June 13th, 2017, the president's personal counsel contacted the special counsel's office and raised concerns about possible conflicts. The president's counsel cited Mueller's previous partnership in his law firm, his interview for the FBI director position, and an asserted personal relationship he had with Comey. That same day, Rosenstein had testified publicly before Congress and said he saw no evidence of good cause to terminate the special counsel, including for conflicts of interest. Two days later, on June 15, 2017, the special counsel's office informed the acting attorney general's office about the areas of concern raised by the president's counsel and told the president's counsel that their concerns had been communicated to Rosenstein so that the Department of Justice could take any appropriate action. Three, the press reports that the president is being investigated for obstruction of justice and the president directs the White House counsel to have the special counsel removed. On the evening of June 14, 2017, the Washington Post published an article stating that the special counsel was investigating whether the president had attempted to obstruct justice. This was the first public report that the president himself was under investigation by the special counsel's office and cable news networks quickly picked up on the report. The Post story stated that the special counsel was interviewing intelligence community leaders, including Coates and Rogers, about what the president had asked them to do in in response to Comey's March 20th, 2017 testimony that the inquiry into obstruction marked a major turning point in the investigation and that while Trump had received private assurances from then FBI Director James B. Comey starting in January, he was not personally under investigation. Officials say that changed shortly after Comey's firing. That evening, at approximately 10.31 p.m., the president called McGahn on McGahn's personal cell phone 
and they spoke for about 15 minutes. McGann did not have a clear memory of the call, but thought they may have discussed the stories reporting that the president was under investigation. Beginning early the next day, June 15, 2017, the president issued a series of tweets acknowledging the existence of the obstruction investigation and criticizing it. He wrote, they made up a phony collusion with the Russian story, found zero proof. So now they go for obstruction of justice on the phony story. Nice. You are witnessing the single greatest witch hunt in American political history, led by some very bad and conflicted people. And Crooked H destroyed phones with hammer, bleached emails, and had husband meet with AG days before she was cleared. And they talk about obstruction? The next day, June 16th, 2017, the president wrote additional tweets criticizing the investigation. After seven months of investigations and committee hearings about my collusion with the Russians, nobody has been able to show any proof. Sad. And I am being investigated for firing the FBI director by the man who told me to fire the FBI director, witch hunt. On Saturday, June 17th, 2017, the president called McGahn and directed him to have the special counsel removed. McGahn was at home and the president was at Camp David. In interviews with this office, McGahn recalled that the president called him at home twice and on both occasions directed him to call Rosenstein and say that Mueller had conflicts that precluded him from serving as special counsel. On the first call, McGahn recalled that the president said something like, you got to do this. You got to call Rod. McGahn said he told the president that he would see what he could do. McGahn was perturbed by the call and did not intend to act on the request. He and other advisors believed the asserted conflicts were silly and not real, and they had previously communicated that view to the president. McGahn also had made clear to the president that the White House counsel's office should not be involved in any effort to press the issue of conflicts. McGahn was concerned about having any role in asking the acting attorney general to fire the special counsel because he had grown up in the Reagan era and wanted to be more like Judge Robert Bork and not Saturday Night Massacre Bork. McGahn considered the president's request to be an inflection point, and he wanted to hit the brakes. When the president called McGahn a second time to follow up on the order to call the Department of Justice, McGahn recalled that the president was more direct, saying something like, call Rod, tell Rod that Mueller has conflicts and can't be the special counsel. McGahn recalled the president telling him, Mueller has to go and call me back when you do it. McGahn understood the president to be saying, that the special counsel had to be removed by Rosenstein. To end the conversation with the president, McGahn left the president with the impression that McGahn would call Rosenstein. McGahn recalled that he had already said no to the president's request and he was worn down, so he just wanted to get off the phone. McGahn recalled feeling trapped because he did not plan to follow the president's directive but did not know what he would say the next time the president called. McGahn decided he had to resign. He called his personal lawyer and then called his chief of staff, Annie Donaldson, to inform her of his decision. He then drove to the office to pack his belongings and submit his resignation letter. Donaldson recalled that McGahn told her the president had called and demanded he contact the Department of Justice and that the president wanted him to do something that McGahn did not want to do. McGahn told Donaldson that the president had called at least twice 
and in one of the calls asked, have you done it? McGahn did not tell Donaldson the specifics of the president's request because he was consciously trying not to involve her in the investigation. But Donaldson inferred that the president's directive was related to the Russia investigation. Donaldson prepared to resign along with McGahn. That evening, McGahn called both Priebus and Bannon and told them that he intended to resign. McGahn recalled that after speaking with his attorney and given the nature of the president's request, he decided not to share details of the president's request with other White House staff. Priebus recalled that McGahn said that the president had asked him to to do crazy shit, but he thought McGahn did not tell him the specifics of the president's request because McGahn was trying to protect Priebus from what he did not need to know. Priebus and Bannon both urged McGahn not to quit, and McGahn ultimately returned to work that Monday and remained in his position. He had not told the president directly that he planned to resign, and when they next saw each other, the president did not ask McGahn whether he'd followed through with calling Rosenstein. Around the same time, Chris Christie recalled a telephone call with the president in which the president asked what Christie thought about the president firing the special counsel. Christie advised against doing so because there was no substantive basis for the president to fire the special counsel. And because the president would lose support from Republicans in Congress if he did so. Analysis. In analyzing the president's direction to McGahn to have the special counsel removed, the following evidence is relevant to the elements of obstruction of justice. A. Obstructive act. As with the president's firing of Comey, the attempt to remove the special counsel would qualify as an obstructive act if it would naturally obstruct the investigation and any grand jury proceedings that might flow from that inquiry, even if the removal of the lead prosecutor would not prevent the investigation from continuing under a new appointee, a fact finder would need to consider whether the act had the potential to delay further action in the investigation, chill the actions of any replacement special counsel, or otherwise impede the investigation. A threshold question is whether the president, in fact, directed McGahn to have the special counsel removed. After news organizations reported that in June 2017, the president had ordered McGahn to have the special counsel removed, the president publicly disputed these accounts and privately told McGahn that he had simply wanted McGahn to bring conflicts of interest to the Department of Justice's attention. Some of the president's specific language that McGahn recalled from the calls is consistent with that explanation. Substantial evidence, however, supports the conclusion that the president went further and in fact directed McGahn to call Rosenstein to have the special counsel removed. First, McGahn's clear recollection was that the president directed him to call Rosenstein, not only that conflicts existed, but also that Mueller has to go. McGahn is a credible witness with no motive to lie or exaggerate given the position he held in the White House. McGahn spoke with the president twice and understood the directive the same way both times, making it unlikely that he misheard or misinterpreted the president's request. In response to that request, McGahn decided to quit because he did not want to participate in events that he described as akin to the Saturday Night Massacre. He he called his lawyer, drove to the White House, packed up his office, prepared to submit a resignation letter with his chief of staff, told Priebus that the president had asked him to do crazy shit and informed Priebus and Bannon that he was leaving. 
those acts would be a highly unusual reaction to a request to convey information to the Department of Justice. Second, in the days before the calls to McGahn, the president, through his counsel, had already brought the asserted conflicts to the attention of the Department of Justice. Accordingly, the president had no reason to have McGahn call Rosenstein that weekend to raise conflict issues that already had been raised. Third, the president's sense of urgency and repeated requests to McGahn to take immediate action on a weekend. You got to do this. You got to call Rod. Support McGahn's recollection that the president wanted the Department of Justice to take action to remove the special counsel. Had the president instead sought only to have the Department of Justice reexamine asserted conflicts to evaluate whether they posed an ethical bar, it would have been unnecessary to set the process in motion on a Saturday and to make repeated calls to McGahn. Finally, the president had discussed knocking out Mueller and raised conflicts of interest in a May 23rd, 2017 call with McGahn, reflecting that the president connected the conflicts to a plan to remove the special counsel. And in the days leading up to June 17th, 2017, the president made clear to Priebus and Bannon, who then told Ruddy that the president was considering terminating the special counsel. Also during this time period, the president reached out to Christie to get his thoughts on firing the special counsel. This evidence shows that the president was not just seeking an examination of whether conflicts existed, but instead was looking to use asserted conflicts as a way to terminate the special counsel. B, nexus to an official proceeding. To satisfy the proceeding requirement, it would be necessary to establish a nexus between the president's act of seeking to terminate the special counsel and a pending or foreseeable grand jury proceeding. Substantial evidence indicates that by June 17, 2017, the president knew his conduct was under investigation by a federal prosecutor who could present any evidence of federal crimes to a grand jury. On May 23, 2017, McGahn explicitly warned the president that his biggest exposure was not his act of firing Comey, but his other contacts and calls and his ask regarding Flynn. By early June, it was widely reported in the media that federal prosecutors had issued grand jury subpoenas in the Flynn inquiry and that the special counsel had taken over the Flynn investigation. On June 9th, 2017, the special counsel's office informed the White House that investigators would be interviewing intelligence agency officials who allegedly had been asked by the president to push back against the Russia investigation. On June 14th, 2017, news outlets began reporting that the president was himself being investigated for obstruction of justice. Based on widespread reporting, the president knew that such an investigation could include his request for Comey's loyalty. His request that Comey let Flynn go, his outreach to Coates and Rogers, and his termination of Comey, and statement to the Russian foreign minister that the termination had relieved great pressure related, related to Russia. And on June 16th, 2017, the day before he directed McGahn to have the special counsel removed, the president publicly acknowledged that his conduct was under investigation by a federal prosecutor, tweeting, I am being investigated for firing the FBI director by the man who told me to fire the FBI director. C, intent. 
Substantial evidence indicates that the president's attempt to remove the special counsel were linked to the special counsel's oversight of investigations that involved the president's conduct and most immediately to reports that the president was being investigated for potential obstruction of justice. Before the president terminated Comey, the president considered it critically important that he was not under investigation and that the public not erroneously think he was being investigated. As described in Volume 2, Section 2D, advisors perceived the president while he was drafting the Comey termination letter to be concerned more than anything else about getting out that he was not personally under investigation. When the president learned of the appointment of the special counsel on May 17, 2017, he expressed further concern about the investigation, saying, this is the end of my presidency. The president also faulted Sessions for recusing, saying, you were supposed to protect me. On June 14, 2017, when the Washington Post reported that the special counsel was investigating the president for obstruction of justice, the president was facing what he had wanted to avoid. A criminal investigation into his own conduct that was the subject of widespread media attention. The evidence indicates that news of the obstruction investigation prompted the president to calm again and seek to have the special counsel removed. By mid-June, the Department of Justice had already cleared the special counsel service and the president's advisors had told him that the claim that the claimed conflicts of interest were silly and did not provide a basis to remove the special counsel. On June 13, 2017, the acting attorney general testified before Congress that no good cause for removing the special counsel existed. And the president dictated a press statement to Sanders saying he had no intention of firing the special counsel. But the next day, the media reported that the president was under investigation for obstruction of justice and the special counsel was interviewing witnesses about events related to possible obstruction, spurring the president to write critical tweets about the special counsel's investigation. The president called McGahn at home that night and then called him on Saturday from Camp David. The evidence accordingly indicates that news that an obstruction investigation had been opened is what led the president to call McGahn to have the special counsel terminated. There also is evidence that the president knew that he should not have made those calls to McGahn. The president made the calls to McGahn after McGahn had specifically told the president that the White House counsel's office and McGahn himself could not be involved in pressing conflicts claims and that the president should consult with his personal counsel if he wished to raise conflicts. Instead of relying on his personal counsel to submit the conflicts claims, the president sought to use his official powers to remove the special counsel. And after the media reported on the president's actions, he denied that he ever ordered McGahn to have the special counsel terminated and made repeated efforts to have McGahn deny the story as discussed in volume two, section two I. Those denials are contrary to the evidence and suggest the president's awareness that the direction to McGahn could be seen as improper. F, the president's efforts to curtail the special counsel investigation. Two days after the president directed McGahn to have the special counsel removed, the president made another attempt to affect the course of the Russia investigation. 
On June 19, 2017, the president met one-on-one with Corey Lewandowski in the Oval Office and dictated a message to be delivered to Attorney General Sessions that would have had the effect of limited that would have had the effect of limiting the Russia investigation to future election interference only. One month later, the president met again with Lewandowski and followed up on the request to have Sessions limit the scope of the Russia investigation. Lewandowski told the president the message would be delivered soon. Hours later, the president publicly criticized Sessions in an unplanned press interview, raising questions about Sessions' job security. One, the president asks Corey Lewandowski to deliver a message to Sessions to curtail the special counsel investigation. On June 19, 2017, two days after the president directed McGahn to have the special counsel removed, the president met one-on-one in the Oval Office with his former campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski. Senior White House advisors described Lewandowski as a devotee of the president and said the relationship between the president and Lewandowski was close. During the June 19th meeting, Lewandowski recalled that after some small talk, the president brought up Sessions and criticized his recusal from the Russia investigation. The president told Lewandowski that Sessions was weak and that if the president had known about the likelihood of recusal in advance, he would not have appointed Sessions. The president then asked Lewandowski to deliver a message to Sessions and said, write this down. This was the first time the president had asked Lewandowski to take dictation and Lewandowski wrote as fast as possible to make sure he captured the content correctly. The president directed that Sessions should give a speech publicly announcing, I know that I recuse myself from certain things having to do with specific areas, but our POTUS is being treated very unfairly. He shouldn't have a special prosecutor, counsel, because he hasn't done anything wrong. I was on the campaign with him for nine months. There were no Russians involved with him. I know it for a fact because I was there. He didn't do anything wrong except he ran the greatest campaign in American history. The dictated message went on to state that Sessions would meet with the special counsel to limit his jurisdiction to future election interference. Now, a group of people want to subvert the Constitution of the United States. I'm going to meet with the special prosecutor to explain this is very unfair and let the special prosecutor move forward with investigating election meddling for future elections so that nothing can happen in future elections. The president said that if Sessions delivered that statement, he would be the most popular guy in the country. Lewandowski told the president he understood what the president wanted Sessions to do. Lewandowski wanted to pass the message to Sessions in person rather than over the phone. He did not want to meet at the Department of Justice because he did not want a public log of his visit and did not want Sessions to have an advantage over him by meeting on what Lewandowski described as Sessions turf. Lewandowski called Sessions and arranged a meeting for the following evening at Lewandowski's office, but Sessions had to cancel due to a last minute conflict. Shortly thereafter, Lewandowski left Washington, D.C., without having had an opportunity to meet with Sessions to convey the president's message. Lewandowski stored the notes in a safe at his home, which he stated was his standard procedure with sensitive items. Two, the president follows up with Lewandowski. Following his June meeting with the president, 
Lewandowski contacted Rick Dearborn, then a senior White House official, and asked Dearborn, asked if Dearborn could pass a message to session. Dearborn agreed without knowing what the message was, and Lewandowski later confirmed that Dearborn would meet with Sessions for dinner in late July and can deliver the message then. Lewandowski recalled thinking that the president had asked him to pass the message because the president knew Lewandowski could be trusted, but Lewandowski believed Dearborn would be a better messenger because he had a long-standing relationship with Sessions and because Dearborn was in the government while Lewandowski was not. On July 19, 2017, the president again met with Lewandowski alone in the Oval Office. In the preceding days, as described in Volume 2, Section 2G, emails and other information about the June 9, 2016 meeting between several Russians and Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, and Paul Manafort had been publicly disclosed. In the July 19th meeting with Lewandowski, the president raised his previous request and asked if Lewandowski had talked to Sessions. Lewandowski told the president that the message would be delivered soon. Lewandowski recalled that the president told him that if Sessions did not meet with him, Lewandowski should tell Sessions he was fired. There's a footnote here. Priebus vaguely recalled Lewandowski telling him that in approximately May or June 2017, the president had asked Lewandowski to get Sessions' resignation. Priebus recalled that Lewandowski described his reaction as something like, what can I do? I'm not an employee of the administration. I'm a nobody. Okay, going back to this. Immediately following the meeting with the president, Lewandowski saw Dearborn in the ante room outside the Oval Office and gave him a typewritten version of the message that president had dictated to be delivered to Sessions. Uh, This footnote 625 says Lewandowski said he asked Hope Hicks to type the notes when he went into the Oval Office and he then retrieved the notes from her partway through his meeting with the president. Lewandowski told Dearborn that the notes were the message they had discussed, but Dearborn did not recall whether Lewandowski said the message was from the president. The message definitely raised an eyebrow for Dearborn, and he recalled not wanting to ask where it came from or think further about doing anything with it. Dearborn also said that being asked to serve as a messenger to Sessions made him uncomfortable. He recalled later telling Lewandowski that he had handled the situation, but he did not actually follow through with delivering the message to Sessions. He recalled later telling Lewandowski that he had handled the situation, but he did not actually follow through with delivering the message to Sessions, and he did not keep a copy of the typewritten notes Lewandowski had given him. Three, the president publicly criticizes Sessions in a New York Times interview. Within hours of the president's meeting with Lewandowski on July 19, 2017, the president gave an unplanned interview to the New York Times in which he criticized Sessions' decision to recuse from the Russia investigation. The president said that Sessions should never have recused himself. And if he was going to recuse himself, he should have told me before he took the job and I would have picked somebody else. Sessions' recusal, the president said, was very unfair to the president. How do you take a job and then recuse yourself? If he would have recused himself before the job, I would have said, thanks, Jeff, but I can't. You know, I'm not going to take you. It's extremely unfair. And that's a mild word to the president. Hicks, who was present for the interview, recalled trying to throw herself between the reporters and the president to stop parts of the interview. But the president loved the interview. Later that day, Lewandowski met with Hicks and they discussed the president's New York Times interview. 
Lewandowski recalled telling Hicks about the president's request that he meet with Sessions and joking with her about the idea of firing Sessions as a private citizen if Sessions would not meet with him. As Hicks remembered the conversation, Lewandowski told her the president had recently asked him to meet with Sessions and deliver a message that he needed to do the right thing and resign. While Hicks and Lewandowski were together, the president called Hicks and told her he was happy with how coverage of his New York Times interview criticizing Sessions was playing out. Four, the president orders Priebus to demand Sessions' resignation. Three days later, on July 21st, 2017, the Washington Post reported that U.S. intelligence intercepts showed that Sessions had discussed campaign-related matters with the Russian ambassador, contrary to what Sessions had said publicly. That evening, Priebus called Hunt to talk about whether Sessions might be fired or might resign. Priebus had previously talked to Hunt when the media had reported on tensions between Sessions and the president. And after speaking to Sessions, Hunt had told Priebus that the president would have to fire Sessions if he wanted to remove Sessions because Sessions was not going to quit. According to Hunt, who took contemporaneous notes of the July 21st call, Hunt told Priebus that as they had previously discussed, Sessions had no intent of resigning, no intention of resigning. Hunt asked Priebus what the president would accomplish by firing Sessions, pointing out that there was an investigation before and there would be an investigation after. Early the following morning, July 22nd, 2017, the president tweeted a new intelligence leak from the Amazon Washington Post, this time against A.G. Jeff Sessions. These illegal leaks like Comey's must stop. Approximately one hour later, the president tweeted, so many people are asking, why isn't the A.G. or special counsel looking at the many Hillary Clinton or Comey crimes? 33,000 emails deleted? Later that morning, while aboard Marine One on the way to Norfolk, Virginia, the president told Priebus that he had to get Sessions to resign immediately. The president said that the country had lost confidence in Sessions and the negative publicity was not tolerable. According to contemporaneous notes taken by Priebus, the president told Priebus to say that he needed a letter of resignation on his desk immediately and that Sessions had no choice but must immediately resign. Priebus replied, That if they fired Sessions, they would never get a new attorney general confirmed and that the Department of Justice and Congress would turn their backs on the president. But the president suggested he can make a recess appointment to replace Sessions. Priebus believed that the president's request was a problem. So he called again and asked for advice, explaining that he did not want to pull the trigger on something that was all wrong. Although the president tied his desire for Sessions to resign to Sessions' negative press and poor performance in congressional testimony, Priebus believed that the president's desire to replace Sessions was driven by the president's hatred of Sessions' refusal from the Russia investigation. McGahn told Priebus not to follow the president's order and said they should consult their personal counsel with whom they had attorney-client privilege. McGahn and Priebus discussed the possibility that they would both have to resign rather than carry out the president's order to fire Sessions. That afternoon, the president followed up with Priebus about demanding Sessions' resignation, using words to the effect of, did you get it? Are you working on it? Priebus said that he believed that his job depended on whether he followed the order to remove Sessions, although the president did not directly say so. Even though Priebus 
did not intend to carry out the president's directive, he told the president he would get Sessions to resign. Later in the day, Priebus called the president and explained that it would be a calamity if Sessions resigned because Priebus expected that Rosenstein and Associate Attorney General Rachel Brand would also resign and the president would be unable to get anyone else confirmed. The president agreed to hold off on demanding Sessions' resignation until after the Sunday shows the next day to prevent the shows from focusing on the firing. By the end of that week, Priebus recalled that the president relented and agreed not to ask Sessions to resign. Over the next several days, the president tweeted about Sessions. On the morning of Monday, July 24th, 2017, the president criticized Sessions for neglecting to investigate Clinton and called him beleaguered. On July 25th, the president tweeted, Attorney General Jeff Sessions has taken a very weak position on Hillary Clinton crimes where where are emails and DNC server and intel leakers? The following day, July 26th, the president tweeted, why didn't AG Sessions replace acting FBI director Andrew McCabe, the Comey friend who was in charge of Clinton investigation? According to Hunt, in light of the president's frequent public attacks, Sessions prepared another re- resignation letter and for the rest of the year carried it with him in his pocket every time he went to the White House. Analysis. In analyzing the president's efforts to have Lewandowski deliver a message directing Sessions to publicly announce that the special counsel investigation would be confined to future election interference, the following evidence is relevant to the elements of obstruction of justice. A, obstructive act. The president's effort to send Sessions a message through Lewandowski would qualify as an obstructive act if it would naturally obstruct the investigation and any grand jury proceedings that might flow from the inquiry. The president sought to have Sessions announce that the president shouldn't have a special prosecutor or counsel and that Sessions was going to meet with the special prosecutor to explain this is very unfair and let the special prosecutor move forward with investigating election meddling for future elections so that nothing can happen in future elections. The president wanted Sessions to disregard his recusal from the investigation, which had followed from a formal DOJ ethics review, and have Sessions declare that he knew for a fact that there was no Russian involved with the campaign because he was there. The president further directed that Sessions should explain that the president should not be subject to an investigation because he hasn't done anything wrong. Taken together, the president's directives indicate that Sessions was being instructed to tell the special counsel to end the existing investigation into the president and his campaign with the special counsel being permitted to move forward with investigating election meddling for future elections. B, nexus to an official proceeding. As described above by the time of the president's Initial one-on-one meeting with Lewandowski on June 19, 2017, the existence of a grand jury investigation supervised by the special counsel was public knowledge. By the time of the president's follow-up meeting with Lewandowski, this portion is redacted for a grand jury. See Volume 2, Section 2G. To satisfy the nexus requirement, it would be necessary to show that limiting the special counsel's investigation would have the natural and probable effect of impeding that grand jury proceeding. C, intent. 
Special evidence indicates, I'm sorry. Substantial evidence indicates that the president's effort to have sessions limit the scope of the special counsel's investigation to future election interference was intended to prevent further investigative scrutiny of the president and his campaign's conduct. As previously described, see volume two, section two B, the president knew that the Russia investigation was focused in part on his campaign and he perceived allegations of Russian interference to cast doubt on the legitimacy of his election. The president further knew that the investigation had been had broadened to include his own conduct and whether he had obstructed justice. Those investigations would not proceed if the special counsel's jurisdiction were limited to future election interference only. The timing and circumstances of the president's actions support the conclusion that he sought a result. The president's initial direction that Sessions should limit the special counsel's investigation came just two days after the president had ordered McGahn to have the special counsel removed, which itself follows public reports that the president was personally under investigation for obstruction of justice. The sequence of those events raises an interference. Raises, that's not right. The sequence of those events raises an inference that after seeking to terminate the special counsel, the president sought to exclude his and his campaign's conduct from the investigation scope. The president raised the matter with Lewandowski again on July 19th, 2017, just days after emails and information about the June 9th, 2016 meeting between Russians and senior campaign officials had been publicly disclosed, generating substantial media coverage and and investigative interest. The manner in which the president acted provides additional evidence of his intent. Rather than rely on official channels, the president met with Lewandowski alone in the Oval Office. The president selected a loyal devotee outside the White House to deliver the message, supporting an inference that he was working outside White House channels, including McGahn, who had previously resisted contacting the Department of Justice about the special counsel. The president also did not contact the acting attorney general, who had just who had just testified publicly that there was no cause to remove the special counsel. Instead, the president tried to use Sessions to restrict and redirect the special counsel's investigation when Sessions was recused and could not properly take any action on it. The July 19th, 2017 events provide further evidence of the president's intent. The president followed up with Lewandowski in a separate one-on-one meeting one month after he first dictated the message for Sessions, demonstrating he still sought to pursue the request. And just hours after Lewandowski assured the president that the message would soon be delivered to Sessions, the president gave an unplanned interview to the New York Times in which he publicly attacked Sessions and raised questions about his job security. Four days later, on July 22nd, 2017, the president directed Priebus to obtain Sessions' resignation. That evidence could raise an inference that the president wanted Sessions to realize that his job might be on the line as he evaluated whether to comply with the president's direction that Sessions publicly announced that notwithstanding his recusal, he was going to confine the special counsel's investigation to future election interference. G, the president's efforts to prevent disclosure of emails about the June 9th, 2016 meeting 
between Russians and senior campaign officials. By June 2017, the president became aware of emails setting up the June 9th, 2016 meeting between senior campaign officials and Russians who offered derogatory information on Hillary Clinton as part of Russia and its government's support for Mr. Trump. On multiple occasions in late June and early July 2017, the president directed aides not to publicly disclose the emails, and he then dictated a statement about the meeting to be issued by Donald Trump Jr., describing the meeting as about adoption. Evidence. One, the president learns about the existence of emails concerning the June 9, 2016 Trump Tower meeting. In mid-June 2017, the same week that the president first asked Lewandowski to pass a message to Sessions, Senior administration officials became aware of email exchange during the campaign, arranging a meeting between Donald Trump Jr., Paul Manafort, Jared Kushner, and a Russian attorney. As described in Volume 1, Section 4A, 5, the email stated that the Crown Prosecutor of Russia had offered to provide the Trump campaign with some official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary and her dealings with Russia. As part of Russia and its government support for Mr. Trump, Trump Jr. responded, if it's what you say, I love it. And he, Kushner and Manafort, met with the Russian attorney and several other Russian individuals at Trump Tower on June 9th, 2016. At the meeting, the Russian attorney claimed that funds derived from illegal activities in Russia were provided to Hillary Clinton and other Democrat Democrats. And the Russian attorney then spoke about the Magnitsky Act, a 2012 U.S. statute that imposed financial and travel sanctions on Russian officials and that that had resulted in a retaliatory ban in Russia on U.S. adoptions of Russian children. The Trump campaign. I'm sorry, I skipped a whole little section. According to written answers submitted by the president in response to questions from the office, The president had no recollection of learning of the meeting or the email setting it up at the time the meeting occurred or at any other time before the election. The Trump campaign had previously received a document request from SSCI that called for the production of various information, including a list and and a description of all meetings between any individual affiliated with the Trump campaign and any individual formally or informally affiliated with the Russian government or Russian business interests, which took place between June 16th, 2015 and 12 p.m. on January 20th, 2017. And associated records. Trump organization attorneys became aware of the June 9th meeting no later than the first week of June 2017 when they began interviewing the meeting participants And the Trump organization attorneys provided the emails setting up the meeting to the president's personal counsel. Mark Corallo, who had been hired as a spokesman for the president's personal legal team, recalled that he learned about the June 9th meeting around June 21st or 22nd, 2017. Priebus recalled learning about the June 9th meeting from Fox News host Sean Hannity in late June 2017. Priebus notified one of the president's personal attorneys who told Priebus he was already working on it. By late June, several advisors recalled receiving media inquiries that could relate to the June 9th meeting. Two, 
The president directs communication staff not to publicly disclose information about the June 9th meeting. Communications advisors Hope Hicks and Josh Raffel recalled discussing with Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump that the emails were damaging and would inevitably be leaked. Would be leaked. Hicks and Raffel advised that the best strategy was to proactively release the emails to the press. On or about June 22, 2017, Hicks attended a meeting in the White House residence with the President Kushner and Ivanka Trump. According to Hicks, Kushner said that he wanted to fill the president in on something that had been discovered in the documents he was to provide to the congressional committees involving a meeting with him, Manafort, and Trump Jr. Kushner brought a folder of documents to the meeting and tried to show them to the president, but the president stopped Kushner and said he did not want to know about it, shutting the conversation down. On June 28, 2017, Hicks viewed the emails at Kushner's attorney's office. She recalled being shocked by the emails because they looked really bad. The next day, Hicks spoke privately with the president to mention her concern about the emails, which she understood were soon going to be shared with Congress. The president seemed upset because too many people knew about the emails and he told Hicks that just one lawyer should deal with the matter. The president indicated that he did not think the emails would leak, but said they would leak if everyone had access to them. Later that day, Hicks, Kushner, and Ivanka Trump went together to talk to the president. Hicks recalled that Kushner told the president that June 9th meeting was not a big deal and was about Russia adoption, but the emails existed setting up the meeting. Hicks said she wanted to get in front of the story and have Trump Jr. release the emails as part of an interview with softball questions. The president said he did not want to know about it and they should not go to the press. Hicks warned the president that the emails were really bad and the story would be massive when it broke. But the president was insistent that he did not want to talk about it. And he and said he did not want details. Hicks recalled that the president asked Kushner when his document production was due. Kushner responded that it would be a couple of weeks and the president said, then leave it alone. Hicks also recalled that the president said Kushner's attorney should give the emails to whomever he needed to give them to, but the president did not think they would be leaked to the press. Raffle later heard from Hicks that the president had directed the group not to be proactive in disclosing the emails because the president believed they would not leak. Three, the president directs Trump Jr.'s response to press inquiries about the June 9th meeting. The following week, the president departed on an overseas trip for the G20 summit in Hamburg, Germany, accompanied by Hicks, Raffel, Kushner, and Ivanka Trump, among others. On July 7, 2017, while the president was overseas, Hicks and Raffel learned that the New York Times was working on a story about the June 9th meeting. That the next day, Hicks told the president about the story and he directed her not to comment. Hicks thought that the president thought the president's reaction was odd because he usually considered not responding to the press to be the ultimate sin. Later that day, Hicks and the president again spoke about the story. Hicks recalled that the president asked her what the meeting had been about, and she said that she had been told the meeting was about Russian adoption. The president responded, then just say that. On the flight home from the G20 on July 8, 2017, Hicks obtained a draft statement about the meeting to be released by Trump Jr. 
and brought it to the president. The draft statement began with a reference to the information that was offered by the Russians in setting up the meeting. I was asked to have a meeting by an acquaintance I knew from the 2013 Miss Universe pageant with an individual who I was told might have might have information helpful to the campaign. Hicks again wanted to disclose the entire story, but the president directed that the statement not be issued because it said too much. The president told Hicks to say only that Trump Jr. took a brief meeting and it was about Russian adoption. After speaking with the president, Hicks texted Trump Jr. a revised statement on the June 9th meeting that read, it was a short meeting. I asked Jared and Paul to stop by. We discussed the program about the adoption of Russian children that was active and popular with American families years ago and was since ended by the Russian government. But it was not a campaign issue at the time and there was no follow up. Hicks text concluded, are you OK with this? Attributed to you. Trump Jr. responded by a text message that he wanted to add the word primarily before discussed so that the statement would read. We primarily discussed a program about the adoption of Russian children. Trump Jr. texted that he wanted the change because they started with some Hillary thing, which was BS and some other nonsense, which we shot down fast. Hicks texted back. I think that's right, too. But boss man worried. It invites a lot of questions. Ultimately, defer to you and your attorney on that word, because I know it's important. And I think the mention of a campaign issue adds something to it in case we have to go further. Trump Jr. responded, if I don't have it in there, it appears though I'm lying later when they inevitably leak something. Trump Jr.'s statement, adding the word primarily and making other minor, minor additions was then provided to the New York Times. The full statement provided to the Times stated, it was a short introductory meeting. I asked Jared and Paul to stop by. We primarily discussed a program about the adoption of Russian children that was active and popular with American families years ago and was since ended by the Russian government. But it was not a campaign issue at the time and there was no follow up. I was asked to attend the meeting by an acquaintance, but was not told the name of the person I would be meeting with beforehand. The statement did not mention the offer of derogatory information about Clinton or any discussion of the Magnitsky Act or U.S. sanctions, which were the principal subjects of the meeting as described in Volume 1, Section 4A5. A short while later, while still on Air Force One, Hicks learned that Priebus knew about the emails, which further convinced her that additional information about the June 9th meeting would leak and the White House should be proactive and get in front of the story. Hicks recalls Hicks recalled again going to the president to urge him that they should be fully transparent about the June 9th meeting. But he again said no, telling Hicks, you've given a statement, we're done. Later on, the flight home, Hicks went to the president's cabin where the president was on the phone with one of his personal attorneys. At one point, the president handed the phone to Hicks and the attorney told Hicks that he had been working with Circa News on a separate story and that she should not talk to the New York Times. Four, the media reports on the June 9, 2016 meeting. Before the president's flight home from the G20 landed, the New York Times published its story about the June 9, 2016 meeting. 
In addition to the statement from Trump Jr., the Times story also quoted a statement from Corallo on behalf of the president's legal team, suggesting that the meeting might have been a setup by individuals working with the firm that produced the Steele reporting. Corallo also worked with Circa News on a story published an hour later that questioned whether Democratic operatives had arranged the June 9th meeting to create the appearance of improper connections between Russia and Trump family members. Hicks was upset about Corallo's public statement and called him that evening to say the president had not approved the statement. The next day, July 9th, 2017, Hicks and the president called Corallo together and the president criticized Corallo for the statement he released. Corallo told the president the statement had been authorized and further observed that Trump Jr.'s statement was inaccurate and that a document existed that would contradict it. Corallo said that he purposely used the term document to refer to the email setting up the June 9th meeting because he did not know what the president knew about the email. Corallo recalled that when he referred to the document on the call with the president, Hicks responded that only a few people had access to it and said it would never get out. Corallo took contemporaneous notes of the call that say, also mention existence of Doc. Hope says only a few people have it. It will never get out. Hicks later told investigators that she had no memory of making that comment and had always believed the emails would eventually be leaked, but she might have been channeling the president on the phone call because it was clear to her throughout her conversations with the president that he did not think the emails would leak. On July 11, 2017, Trump Jr. posted redacted images of the emails setting up the June 9th meeting on Twitter. The New York Times reported that he did so after being told that the Times is about to publish the content of the emails. Later that day, the media reported that the president had been personally involved in preparing Trump Jr.'s initial statement to the New York Times. Then it claimed the meeting primarily concerned a program about the adoption of Russian children. Over the next several days, the president's personal counsel repeatedly and inaccurately denied that the president played any role in drafting Trump Jr.'s statement. After consulting with the president on the issue, White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders told the media that the president certainly didn't dictate the statement, but that he weighed in, offered suggestions like any father would do. Several months later, the president's personal counsel stated in a private communication to the special counsel's office that the president dictated a short but accurate response to the New York Times article on behalf of his son, Donald Trump Jr. The president later told the press that it was irrelevant whether he dictated the statement and said, it's a statement to the New York Times. That's not a statement to a high tribunal of judges. We're all my children of the light, born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors. All we know is to fight, pray. They see God in everything I write here.